All right, welcome back to the show and go, the weekly podcast. Me and the boss sit down talking all things footy, and it is brought to you by the good guys at YKTR. Fresh <laughs> drop this Thursday, 6 p.m. What do we got coming, Skip? Yeah, we've got um, three hoodies, three crewnecks coming. Uh, they sold out super quick last time, so they're going in roughly eight, one will go in eight minutes, and the other will go in 14 minutes. So make sure you don't miss out. Six o'clock, be there, be quick. Um, even if you add it to card, doesn't mean you're guaranteed a hoodie, so you've got to move quick. So hopefully, you guys get one. Roll the intro. Roll the intro. that for a while eh <laughs> well, I, well I've heard volley recently oh yeah it was good hey, good time wasn't it <laughs> yeah um, sweet let's rip straight into it bro obviously um, there's a lot of plenty of big news going around in football at the moment as there always is in the NRL bro you, you'd probably know that but let's jump straight off the bat man talk about these Penrith Panthers because although it seems like it was a long time ago that Raiders game it left I know it left an impression on both of us they went out there they're the only undefe- undefeated side now sorry Lukey uh, the Panthers but Geez, they beat up on the Raiders, didn't they? Yeah, like when you look at the Raiders, they're like actually grown men. And we talked about this in our group chat. I was like, nah, the, the Panthers aren't going to rock up and bully the Raiders, but they did. Like you looked at you look at the Raiders, they got Papali, they got Josh um, Wyden, um, they got all the English boys as well. Like they're not a team that you can really just rock up and bully. And uh, I know the Raiders got a big jump on it, but man, I can't see too many teams troubling the Panthers. So you've got them almost undefeated, undefeated don't you? Undefeated, baby. Undefeated? Yeah. I've got them undefeated. And like I know... Justin and I spoke about this last week and he had a bit of a go at me going, bro, no one goes undefeated. There's injuries, there's origin, which I know you and I spoke about. My thing with the Panthers, man, is in a shortened season last year, they had lost one game, shortened by four, four games. They were playing that red hot at the end of the year. I'm telling you right now, if they played four more games, they win those four games. They dropped one game and had a draw, obviously, and then losing the grand final. I think they're better this year, man. I, I really do. Yeah, it's just such a... I think once you've actually played within there, it's like it's such a long season, yeah. man. Once you get to round 12, 13, and you rock up to somewhere and it's pissing down with rain, you go back down to Canberra, it's minus two degrees, or you fly to New Zealand, like you, you're going to drop a game somewhere. It's definitely so, a hot take. Like yeah. I hear that it's a hot take, but like I don't think it's super outlandish. Just because of how good they're playing. Yeah, if it happens, it's like, yeah, that probably makes sense. But you know what the thing I like about the Panthers is, and I got down here on my notes, it looks like they enjoy everything about being a football player, and it helps when you're winning. Like, you haven't lost, you've lost like three games in two years or something like that, and you're playing in grand finals. But it looks like they enjoy everything about it. It looks like they enjoy training. It looks like they enjoy rocking up to the games, playing 1 4. Jerome Lewis walking through, playing 1 4. Um, it looks like they enjoy the media as well. Like, a lot of the, when we were coming up, we used to hate the media. We was like, oh, we have to go talk to the media now. They actually enjoy that. They've got characters in there. They've got Brian Tohu. Uh, they've probably got the game, one of the game's best players in Nathan Cleary. Uh, they've probably got the best complimentary player in Jerome Luai as well. They're just a really fun team to watch. They enjoy, they can play from behind, they can play from in front. Um, you don't know where their point of attack is coming from as well. So you look at a lot of teams, say like Newcastle at the moment, or where Mitchell Pearce plays, you know the ball's going to go to Mitchell Pearce, or you know the ball's going to go to Ponga. With the Panthers, it can come off anyone. Like Liam Martin can run a line for you. Nathan Cleary can push up and score. Isaiah Yeo as well through the middle. Isaiah Yeo runs block shape off the back of him. Very tight. Then you go down that left edge, you got Luai, he, you don't know what the fuck he's going to do. <laughs> he doesn't you know got, what he's going to yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> you got a kick out, you don't know what he's going to do. You got Crichton at the back as well. So they're such a diverse team, but they're not diverse in attack. They're good on defense. That they love rushing up and putting on shots, led by Fisher Harris. And um, they can defend the lead. They can chase the lead. They don't mind the niggle. Like obviously that Tarpany situation was. 
here and there for some people. You loved mm. it. Um, I don't necessarily enjoy it that much, but they enjoy that. They enjoy the niggly part of it because they're winning, but no one's really bullying them. No one's really standing up to them. And I thought Canberra were going to be the side, but it looks like they weren't. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that Tarpany thing. Not like, I didn't enjoy that it was Joseph Tarpany because he looks like the nicest guy in the world and mm. everyone loves Joseph Tarpany. But I like that they just don't give a fuck. Like they're... they're when you've got that sort of young, hot, sexy team that rolled to the grand final and they're dancing in pregame and Jerome Luai celebrates every trial like they've just won the GF, like you can tell, I would assume as a veteran player or a senior side like Canberra, that would frustrate you. Yeah. And you'd want to go out and get after them. And when they're so talented that you just can't, I just love that shit. I love the confidence. I love the swagger. And to your point of before, when I said they were better this year and you touched on it, their attack is their attack. They've, their guns all over the park. They've played so much football together. They're going to score points. But their defense this year particularly in the red zone, I know that obviously a lot of teams, that's their emphasis is red zone defense, but Penrith just, they do it so effortlessly. There's great communication out there. They they just, they're repelling points so easily that when they get down the other end and they're still fresh and got that confidence and obviously the talent to yeah. go out and score. So for me, the biggest takeaway, obviously at the moment is, is how cool and the swagger and all that, but their defense is going to be a pillar of, yeah, yeah, man. Ivan's, Ivan's a defensive coach. Well, so if, he's, if he's got two exactly players that are exactly the same and one could defend better than the other, um, he's going to always throw that defensive player in. And, and here's an example, like we talked about this the other day, his son, Jet Cleary, um, most kids get like say $5 for a try or back in my day it was a dollar for a try. He gets money for saving tries. So Ivan's always been a defensive coach. He builds everything around his defense. Um, he's a great attacking coach as well. I know he has great sort of support roles in him around him with Cam Serraldo and he had Trent Barrett last year and Peter Wallace is in there as well. So he understands the attacking side. He's come from the 2001 Warriors. So um, he's got an, he's got a system in there. I won't give too, I think I've already given away back in the past, but once you offload, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's a sequence of, plays that you have to follow off the back of that as well so it looks like it's ad-lib but it's not it's something that they practice for and stuff as well so yeah Panthers are fucking scary man they're a really good side they're young only thing that's going to stop them now is injuries and health which which is a part of the game and we've seen so many injuries happen if uh and I think they could copper I honestly think they could copper like with with Burden there they could cop one with but if, they, if, if they cop two it's like oh shit it starts to get messy we'll move off the Panthers in a second my my argument whenever I when I did the old undefeated season. Crichton's not their starting fullback. Dylan Edwards is. Yep. So they got cover at fullback. We've already seen Charlie Staines when he shifts back there in those little pot, like they put him in there for those little 10 minute periods in the games. He looks fucking lethal at fullback. Even up, up, up Curacao's out at the moment. Curacao's yeah, out at the moment. So yeah. Like you look at the key positions, obviously you go through the spine, the six, seven, nine, one. They do have, it's not a massive lot of depth, but they yeah. have depth in those key positions. So, I think they can cop one or two injuries. I don't know if that necessarily means, obviously I don't think they're winning the comp without Nathan Cleary. I'm not saying that, but they are deeper than some of the other big big sides at the moment. Oh, me, way right? deeper. And obviously we talked about sort of that five-year plan with Gus had and they've had the best junior system forever and now they're starting to really, really reap the rewards where their reserve players are picking up 500, 600K contracts because yeah. they're just that much better than everyone else. So but it reminds me of, I watched this video. So we were going to... Um, we were playing a Reggie's game one time and it was a new game and Garth Brennan was our coach and he was sort of talking about uh, the Panthers. Like, it's a club that's got rich history. So in, in 91 and 2003 when they won, they they done this interview with Mark Geyer and they played the Canberra Raiders in 1990 and he remembers running out onto the field and um, actually they fucked up before because they went out on the piss on a Tuesday night. So all the boys come from Penrith into the city. Yeah. The boys got, on, got blind in the hotel room and Gus Gould walked through the door and he goes, you've just lost yourself to the grand final. And they're like, nah, nah, it's only Tuesday. We'll be sweet by Sunday. And he reckons when they rocked out on Sunday, grand final day, they looked across and they looked, they seen the big green machine. And he goes, 
they just look like grown men next to us. And they're, they're big boys. They had John Cartwright. They had Mark Guy. But they looked over and they go, fuck, these, these guys are huge. Like, obviously, the uniform as well. Yeah. Boys probably jacked up on steroids with the Canberra <laughs> milk. Um, but next year, 91, come around. Had a really good year. They rocked up, played the exact same team. And they looked across and they didn't look as big anymore. You know what I mean? They had that bit more confidence, bit more swag about them and they ended up getting them. So I think... You get Penrith and Melbourne again. Uh, yeah, you know I love a storyline. Yeah. <laughs> I love a fucking story. Like I love... I, I see that happening. And I know Souths are there. And they've got the back line of Doom. But I don't, I don't see their forwards matching up to Penrith's forwards and I don't see their forwards matching up to Melbourne's forwards. Agree. Yeah, so... Like I, I love an early storyline, and if I was putting money on a grand final, it'd be them two. Um, obviously with all in good health, but I think Melbourne can still get them as well. Harry Grant's back, you know what I mean? They're they're the one side that could probably trouble them. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't want to be taking Melbourne. You wouldn't want to be betting against anyone other than Melbourne. The but I reckon final. if they get to the grand final, they're not going to be like the same side that they were this time. Agreed. Yeah, and that, that last grand final reminded me of two thousand one grand final when Parramatta were the gun side. They rocked up and played a, a experienced Newcastle side, and Joey Johns just put, fucking put the sword to them early on. And then once they sort of figured it out, they made the comeback, and it really reminded me of that 01 grand final. But if you're looking at what's t- 2011 Warriors. What? Yeah, 11. <laughs> I'm going every 10 years. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So sometimes sometimes they get a little bit starstruck by yep. that. Even You can be as confident as you want. Mm-hmm. And do you know the cool thing about it? The the long tail effect off the back of the Panthers going well. It's never been cooler than being from Western Sydney at the moment. Yeah. You've got 1-4 coming out there. You've got Bam Bam and, and Ty to, uh, Tuovasa and Tyson Pedro. They're doing really good things out there as well. And they represent their area. And that means something to them as well. They always say like I'm from not here. even from here and it looks cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's this little subculture out there where historically it's never been really that cool to be from Western Sydney. But now it's a vibe. And, and they've got a sports team that's fucking representing and killing it that represents the whole area yeah. Yeah, all across Australia you know what I mean so I think that's cool let's transition off the Panthers obviously the big news this week well in the last 48 hours was all the John Morris stuff we came into today expecting to talk about will he go he's gone today um, has he walked out uh, no they've they've sacked him they've brought in effective immediately Craig Fitzgibbon um, so Craig Fitzgibbon's walking in right so Josh now Josh Hannay is going to take over for the rest of this year yeah. the assistant and Craig Fitzgibbon's on a three year deal I believe from 2022 onwards um, yeah, that sucks. Hey, that, oh, like two. I got, I got two part. This, this is a two-part question. One that sort of sucks for Johnny Morris. He's done a really good job. He hasn't had the salary cap. Um, I think most of the boys seem pretty happy with. Him. I want to say all the boys are happy with him there, with all the style of coaching. But predominantly, a lot of them are. Uh, but it just sort of sucks the way it's handled. And this is like just like can we just. Everyone just say, oh, this is a fucking business now. Yeah. Uh, once players realise this, because clubs have known this for years or, or administration have known this for years. This is a fucking flat out business and it's a ruthless business as well. So you kind of just got to look after your own. So I do feel for him in that sense. On the other side of it, I think Craig Fitzgibbon is going to be a really good coach. I talked to a lot of the boys in and around football and everyone said like Fitzy's up next and who he's teamed up with, Cameron Serraldo, played football with Ciro um, and been coached by him as well. People have massive raps People on him. People got though. massive raps on him. And someone was saying like he was he's like the highest paid assistant coach in the comp. <laughs> Someone, Uncle Tony Iroh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like that's how, that's and Gus, Gus didn't want to lose him. So he like got him, got him out quick. So Gus has got a... Can, I, can I ask you before, before, sorry, but I don't mean to interrupt you. Can I ask you, before I sort of give my take on it and you continue, that the assistant coaches, Craig Fitzgibbon, Serraldo, Trent Barrett, before he obviously got the Bulldogs gig, it seems to me that every football player and everyone in football circles always have massive raps on assistants. Yeah. And perhaps fans like myself and Lukey maybe don't understand that next step up. Like how easy is it to be a good assistant and then 
Or how is he? How is he to be a number two here instead of a number one? Like, yeah. if something fucks up, Jackson, you come to me. You know what I mean? Where mm. when it's on me, I'm like, oh shit, where do I go? Mm. It's the same thing, and there's different types of pressure. You don't have to front media. You don't have to make all the decisions. I know when you're a head coach, you got your team in and around you. But when you're an assistant coach, you're kind of one of the boys. You're the link between your head coach and the players. So like, assistant coaches will go out and like they'll do like a little bit of video. They'll run two or three drills. They might have control of all the attack, but they never have to be the bad guy. They yeah. never have to be the like. Oi, Jackson, what the fuck are you doing here? Some of them might, they try and do that, but that that usually falls onto the head head coach's role. So a lot of people sort of struggle with that transition from, and you've heard this so many times, like this assistant coach is going to be a gun head coach. That's what I'm saying. And, yeah. like, so, and you know what? Sometimes they could be, but sometimes they take on the wrong opportunities. And I think Craig Fitzgibbon, he's turned down a few opportunities before and he sees this as the right opportunity. He sees Agreed. Sharks, he's got, they've got a couple of nice pieces there, maybe change their fullback around a little bit. Um, they've got a full salary cap to play around with where you see someone like say Trent Barrett he's taken on a rebuilding Manly and a rebuilding Bulldogs fuck got so much time and you get a couple years because you hear the whole rebuild thing and oh we're rebuilding for three years from now we get our full salary cap next year sometimes walking into the right situation or the wrong situation determines whether you're from assistant coach to head coach and do and do that um, seamlessly as well. So I think Craig Fitzgibbon sees this as, as an opportunity to go, fuck, I can actually do something with this team. I've got my full salary cap. I've done my time. I've, yep. I've been under the Roosters system for that long. And this is going to be, this is going to show how good of a coach Trent Robinson is on the long tail as well, where you see Craig Fitzgibbon and how many people have gone from assistant coach to head coach underneath his system and he lets them go and they go on to be really good coaches like Maguire um, Brad Arthur's been there um, Stephen Kearney to an extent he probably is yep. not as successful as the other two he's had a long career as a head he's coach he's had a long yeah. career as a head yeah exactly so there's that other side of it as well so that shows a really good club and an old coach of mine said that you can tell a successful dominant team because those guys always end up in the media after yep. so you look at the Raiders and then Ricky Stewart gets like, the head coach and then Mal Meninga gets head coach of um, Origin and then and Laurie Daly moves into TV. Now he's the like origin yeah. coach and stuff as well. And the teams that dominated the um, early 2000s and the 10s, they're all in media now. So that's that's the other side of coaching where if you can coach really well, you get assistant coaches that get really good roles and then all your players sort of roll into media. So it's a different way of looking at football, but I feel like, I feel like it's a real interesting one. Yeah, my, my immediate thing with John Morris, I'm kind of with you. It's a bit of a lukewarm response. Like it sucks, but I get it. And I know that's a bit of a shit yeah. take because you're yeah. on both sides of it, but... In reality, my thing with this is so John Morris came into a, you know, call it what it is, a disarray with the post Flanagan Sharks. They were, they were shot to bits. The cap was fucked. He inherited a side. He came in like, and the, for me, this was going to be the one year where he finally had control mm. and it's been taken away from him. So for that, that sucks for me. Like, he comes in, he's going to have Sean healthy at the back end of the year. He's finally going to have cap in this, like, and they're, and they're a competitive side. But from the club brass perspective, you don't want to be a competitive top eight side. You want to be a top four contender. Yeah. And in reality this year, and it's the same every year, and we're going to transition into the, the sort of gap between talent later on, but there's four sides that we genuinely think can win this. And then you've got the chasing pack, which is your paras, sorry, Lukey, probably mudders and the drags, the sharks and the raiders. A couple of Cinderella's in there. A couple right? of Cinderella's. Yeah. But in reality, you've got the big four. You've got mm. the Roosters, obviously not healthy, Bunnies, Storm and Penrith. Yep. Cronella, the board, the club, the brass would have got there, sat there and gone with John Morris. We're a very competitive top eight side who if we get hot and things go our way and the bounce of the ball goes our way, we can fuck around and win a premiership. They believe with Craig Fitzgibbon in there, with cap room, with autonomy over his staff, obviously for Sorrell on that, they think they can win a comp. So I get the move. I just, 
it sucks for me because I would have loved to have seen the guy, you know, getting a little bit poetic here, but the guy who sort of navigated you through the shitstorm mm. finally gets clear skies in 2022 and you fucking kick him off the boat. Like I wanted to see him at least have a little run at it, but I get it. The club aren't sitting around wanting to finish sixth. You know? Timing, timing is everything. And I think like, so I think Craig Swiggerman was tossed up for that role a while ago, but they see Cam Serrato is pretty much the best assistant coach there is at them. Him and him and Craig Fitzgibbon are yep. pretty much the best. So they've got the two for one deal. You know, I mean, you got two of the best up and coming coaches that are going to get through. And maybe they've seen John Morris's talent. Maybe we don't hear what's going on behind the scenes from players, from actual players. That's, that's, that's the I, other side of it that we don't understand. As yeah, well. I don't mean to, I don't mean to interrupt you again. That's the thing. Like a lot of people, you know, they chastise the media for paying John Morris out as under pressure. I'm telling you right now, for every Sean Johnson that came out in defense of John Morris, there's other players that will be leaking to their managers, to media, that they're unhappy with him. Like, there's no way that the club sacked John Morris if 100% of the players are backing him. Like, that's just not the reality. And it sucks for John and it sucks for Cronella. Yeah. But players, by nature... I, not ever. It's a group of fucking individuals. It's a group of personalities. Oh, not a, everyone's going to like. Here's Cam an example. Here's an example of um, when Corey was at Parramatta. Everyone thought Corey was the problem. So the administration has gone. Oh, we need to get rid of him. So they try yep. to fuck him off to a few different clubs. He could have left halfway through the season when um, they were going shit, and he could have like gone to a winning side straight away. But he goes, "No, nah, I want to ride this out. Like this is my team." And they all thought he was a problem. They interviewed like ten of the top players in there, and they go, "Who do you want here?" And all of them said, that, "Oh, we want Corey. We want Corey. We want Corey." Yep. So and then, but that was getting played out in the media that he was the guy that obviously he's on the biggest money. He he got the number six on the back, so he deserved to share that thing. But when you when you saw the media, and compared to what the boys were saying, it's two different stories. That's what I'm saying. And so like the the stuff that emanates out of the club, we see Sean Johnson sitting on Matty John saying that John Morris deserves a crack, and we back him 100. percent That's not he. Sean speaks for Sean, and he's he'll be the first one to tell you that he's not speaking for everyone within that organization. Mm. And personalities are personalities, man. When you get Sean's a great guy, he's a great guy. He's never going to talk shit about. But like when I had a bear with him one time, and I was like, "Oh, how are you and Mooks?" Like Steve Kearney goes, "No, like it was just one of those things that really worked out great for both of us." (laughs) And I was like, "Are you sure?" Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's Shawnee, but he's a nice guy, man. And like a lot of people will say, "Off contract this year, come on, Warriors." Yeah, yeah. Come home, boy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so I don't know yeah it, it, it is a situation you feel for him you feel for his family but he's going to pick up like yeah. it's, it's just a merry-go-round the coaching roles and like sometimes when you take on a role a little bit too early um, and but you think that's just going to be your opportunity sometimes it fucks up your long tail you see players do this all the time where they start to play good football and someone throws massive coin at them and they go to a, a lesser a, situation like a Titans back in the day Warriors yeah. back in the day they lose all their value because mm. they take the cash grab now where you're better off doing a Jerome Hughes where he could have cashed in and gone to the Warriors, but he's going to stay at Melbourne, get his get not as much money, but he's going to his value is just going to go up and up and up. He's going to be playing in grand finals and finals and rep teams off the back of it as well. And when he wants to take that cash grab, it's going to be bigger. And you yeah, know, of course. Yeah. And 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 you're going to have just have a better period. Like you mm-hmm. can talk to any players who had a million dollars and and like things aren't going well. It doesn't it doesn't matter if you get a million dollars. Just still I'll sucks. Take, I'll take six hundred win comps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's like a lot of people go, nah, I'd rather take the money. But man, you ask a lot of these guys who actually got that money. Different yeah. breed as well, football players. Man, like Lukey and I take the million dollars and play for Brisbane but proper competitive football players who are there to win would take less money and go to Melbourne for, for the Man, most part when, you know? when everyone's bagging you from media to fucking not worth it bro no nah, it's not worth it it's not worth the mental health stuff speaking of uh, future million dollar players see that transition there let's talk a bit of Sammy Walker baby Thank obviously um, the se- we, we called it the seven minutes in heaven going into that game period there he, yeah. he took over he demanded the ball and aside without Kerry with their hooker stocks obviously depleted they still got Teddy and still got guns but he took over he demanded the ball 
Um, amazing performance. He's had two pretty fucking good performances. Um, doesn't get any easier this week though. There was, there was this important, I always watch off the ball. So like I watch a lot of football and like, I don't always watch where the ball is, I always watch off it. So when before Drew Hutchison scored, they'd done this little play out the back and Drew Hutchison got it and he tipped it onto Angus Crichton like super early, like he didn't dig into the line and Crichton got head high and Drew Hutchison scored the next play. Jared Hargraves, like he was the best player on the ground that whole day. I agree. Rocked yeah. over to Drew Hutchison. He's like, I don't know what he said, but I'm just guessing I'll play a little bit of football. Get the fuck into the line. That's not like, I don't want to say, what he's going to say but Jared's pretty ruthless but because Drew kept playing back and back and back and Crichton was trying to run the line off him but then next play boom he just slides straight through so that sort of sets up the momentum but Sammy Walker man a lot of a lot of football like talent's important systems important great coaching is important he's got all that at Roosters but a lot of it comes down the field and understanding that like, the game's on the line you're 18 years old man you don't got to fucking care in the world he didn't like he wouldn't have felt any pressure whatsoever like a lot of the older guys were like oh shit it's on me now like oh no got I've got complete, Teddy got complete, yeah, yeah gotta, but he don't give a fuck he's just going oh cool I'm 18 I'm playing first grade I'm probably Rainbow getting pass. matches <laughs> I got fucking running off the back of Takiyaho we're real Hargraves I got best coach in the comp the best fullback and the best player in the comp I don't give a fuck but his touches were beautiful. Uh, that try he scored, like, he's not small, but he must be hard to get a hold of. Very Kerry-esque, like, in terms yeah. of, like, he, he he's fast, he reacts really quickly. Like, obviously, you when you watch the game, you'd be able to see this better than me. But for me, he looks like he reacts really quickly to what's in front of him. Like, he's not a slow processor, which some halves, obviously, they, they get into their sets and they know what they're kind of going to do, and then they react. His last pass was an example of exactly. that. Exactly. Like he, he sees what's happening, holds... Think over the and top. like you, you kind of get a feel when that long ball's on because like like you kind of like you you have a look up and then you're like oh shit I'm on the three man so that means like my back row is covered my center's covered it kind you can kind of just get a feel for right. it and he's got that feel where he just get a two pass from um Tedesco and just goes fuck it you reckon Craig, Craig Bellamy will have some uh, plans from this one yeah yeah and this is this is like the <laughs> this is the <laughs> test this is the test so he's rocked up he's killed it he's slaying it um then you rock up. You beat the Warriors and then um, Cronulla, right? Um, yeah, Cronulla. Cronulla with obviously Wade Graham out and them going through their coaching dramas. Melbourne's a different beast. Mm. So, And I, I, I'm just going to have a guess there. I reckon the play that they're going to do is like a real tight block down the blind side with Nelson Asafa Solomona. Mm. So they'll get, um, who's the right side? Kafusi. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll run a real tight block and then he'll be at the back of it. So they'll go to this right post, kind of open it up and you'll switch late and then give him, give him a bit of attention. Wait, is he right or left? Yeah, yeah. Sammy Walker's left. Left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fusi, yeah. That that's the play they're gonna run, and then everyone will try and cover him, and they'll jump it out the back anyway. So. Kafusi. Bit of jam, bit Kaf- of jam. Kafusi's going to be a fucking... He's gonna yeah, his and, and, like, and the thing with, like, trying to spot up players, sometimes it's a lot harder than you think it is because you, you've got... He showed... I don't mean to interrupt you. He showed in that in that Warriors game, he's game. Like, if you've seen... Yeah. They, they were sending Murdoch Masilla, who's a fucking handful, at him all day. He's he's game. Like Sandy Yeah, Walker but there's a difference between, like, the Melbourne and Warriors sending traffic at you because yeah. Warriors would go, oh, yeah, sweet, oh, yeah, Benny, let's get at him run and try down. and run over him, but where he'll have to defend up against shape. Make decisions. So, yeah. like, he might have... He might have fucking Nelson Asafa Solomona and um, Kafusi in front of him like that. And then he's got Munster swinging and he's got Pappenhausen. So he's going to go, all right, so this is my inside shoulder. This is my outside shoulder. If they don't make it, I'm going to go have to get on my fucking cart and go get Pappenhausen. So that's the difference. Yeah, right. And that's what I mean. Like people can spot up players all they want and go, oh, you just just get it in. Those tackles are easy. Like you just get a body in front and you get help from the inside. But when you have to make decisions as well, plus put your body on the line, that's when it starts to get a little bit sticky and Melbourne are the best at it. Get caught on your heels or, oh, yeah. Yeah. Off balance, yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk just quickly before we get to the um, origin stuff, which I know we want to talk about. The gap at the moment, it's kind of been a big topic in the game. The gap between the 
the haves and haves nots, for lack of a better word, the sides that are killing it at the moment versus um, the teams that are really struggling. You played long enough to realise, for me, I think this has kind of always been the case. Like we said before, there's four sides that we think can win it. I don't know if it's ever been this big, but what do you make of the gap at the moment between those sides that are, you know, Melbourne putting 50 on the Bulldogs, etc.? Yeah, I think I think you just sort of now like every sport has four teams that are going to win it. Maybe yeah. that one or two Cinderella sessions that you love to see, but that's why they're called Cinderella stories, and that's why they make movies about these types of teams because they're not supposed to win. Yeah. And every every um, competition has these types of people. But I feel like you need a couple of teams to be good. Like we say this with basketball, like you want the Knicks to be good, even though they're not. If they've got Brooklyn now. Yeah. You want the bigger markets to be good. You want the Rabbitohs to be good. You want the Roosters to be good. You'd love for the Bulldogs to be really good again because they bring the best well. yeah. Brisbane yeah. to be good. Good, Parramatta to be good, Penrith to be good. Like you kind of want these ty- types of teams to be good because they bring crowds, um, they bring energy. But yeah, like I just think it's a little bit more obvious between the top and the bottom these days where usually you'd have maybe one team or two teams that's going to get the spoon. Yeah. That's almost a toss-up this year as well. Like who the fuck's going to get it? Yeah. I, like, you look I, at the Bulldogs, but you, you, everyone else is like, oh, he could get it as well. Cowboys could quite easily win yeah. it. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's as big a deal perhaps as people are making out. The thing which me that I, I think it probably highlights is we don't need an expansion team right now. Nah, nah. I, I think the talent's stretched not thin enough because it's obviously talent in the game. But I think with, with sides getting 50 put on them, 40 put on them, 30 put on them every week, I don't think you need to put another team up there who's probably going to get spanked as well for the first five years, you know? Do you know what I think? Yeah, that they would get spanked for the first five years. Even if they sign Munster. Doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter, yeah. So the thing, the thing, like... They let so many players go to Super League way too early. In my yeah, opinion. you said that last week. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, so that they see this like shiny young talent and like they'll flick. And like I love, I love. Don't get me wrong, I love getting the boys money, and like those young talented, those Payne's has, those David Feeder juniors. They deserve to get fucking paid because they're elite talent, and we want them in the game. But then there's always that like I remember when they went for the CBA last time, and Clint Newton was the only guy fighting for the people in the middle. So minimum wage was getting raised up, and all the Origin players were getting like top up they were getting higher origin pays their salary cap was going up but it's only really benefiting the top and the bottom and most of your players are here yeah and most of your players are in your 120 to 160 so what what they need to look after though is those guys in the middle that are fucking genuine first graders they might be props they might be like halfbacks you got gareth Whitup over there at the moment you got blake austin over there at the moment jackson's done uh, jackson hastings has done his apprenticeship over there you look at a um blake green who's who went over there done his time come back become a very fucking solid first grader so Jacob Miller, he's been killing it over there for a long, long time for Wakefield as well. So you've got these types of players that are really, really good. They should be fucking over here. They've done their time over here. Yep. Get them back over here. But then the other side is that those guys between the 120 to 200K, they sort of feel like a little bit disrespected. They're sitting around 120 games, 150 games. And all of a sudden, this young kid from... Um, Keeper Park comes through and then he's, he's getting 700k and I think sometimes they feel like a little bit disrespected in that sense so they'll go oh fuck it I'm just going to go to England and, and those and guys make up what 70% of the fucking playing roster anyway isn't it? and they're usually like your they're usually like your team players they're usually the yeah. ones that do all the clean up work and they, they take the tough hit ups your bench and, back rowers and, and when it gets yeah when, when yeah. it gets fucking tough they don't they don't they don't get scared. They don't run off. They don't go, oh, fuck it. Like, I'm, I'm so used to this yeah. losing thing. So there's so many good players that we let go way too early because they're disrespected because they're in the wrong part of the salary cap that no one ever talks about. Like Minimum wage is going up. Great. Fucking the boys need to get paid. Superstars. Superstars should get paid as well. 
but look after these guys in the middle that go to Super League way too early because it, it's it's weakening our comp. And if you look at Canberra, they were smart. They recruited all the English guys. They're like, no one wants to come to Canberra because it's cold and, and it's freezing. Oh, fuck, let's go get some of the best English players. That's what I wanted my boys to do for a minute. I was like, you can't lure these Aussie boys over New Zealand. Go, yeah. go to England. Obviously, the Sam Tompkins experiment didn't really work out, but... That was such a smart route for Ricky Ricky and that club to go, man. Just mm. made so much sense. And it's like there's more injuries coming along with mm. the speed of this game as well. So we, we really need these guys kind of back here. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? They're really good first graders. But they just, they, won't, they won't get the name in the paper. They won't get the highlights. But they're the types of players that fucking the superstars look at and go, fuck you, my guy. And we need those guys in there. Yeah. I think we're on the same page with that gap as well. It's always been there. So Yeah. It's really always been. It. It's just... Whatever whatever media shines light on, yeah. and we're, we're the same. We're shining light on it right now, but that's same that's shit, that's right. what we see. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, just lastly, then let's jump across to the origin stuff because we spoke a little bit about it. I think it was off air. I actually think when we came in, um, when Kempi was in talking about the origin stuff, the ARL came out yesterday and basically said, well, definitely for this year, they're not changing the eligibility rules, which kind of rules Tomalolo out. Um, and I was wrong. So Tonga are not a tier one nation. They're not. They want to be. They've been petitioning for B for a long time, but they've got their problems with their um their union back home. Fuck, all, the, like all the island teams always have trouble yeah, with the yeah. unions. So, eh? But the thing with like Tel Malolo is he's played for the Kiwis. So yeah. that, that, that's what rules him out. Um, someone like Daniel Tupo could still play for, does Daniel Tupo play for Australia? Don't think so. Can still play Origin because he's mm. only played for Tier 2 Nation. But um, what do you make of that? I mean, we, we kind of spoke about it. For it feels, us, yeah, it feels yucky, eh? It feels weird, yeah. yeah. <laughs> feels yuck. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, like, you, you think of like island nations as well. You just wouldn't want anyone to rock up and just play for Tonga or anyone to rock up and play for Samoa. For Australians, this origin thing is as important to them as culture is to us, as islanders, as Kiwis, as Maldives, as yeah. anything along those lines. I know, I know they don't have a deep history. So like you can look at Maldi culture and goes all the way back where Australian origin only goes back to 1980 and we're like, oh, what everyone should be able to play. And it is the pinnacle of our sport, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just don't think it should happen. I, especially as a, as a Kiwi, like the Tongan, like there's, there's, there's Tongans that come to Australia and sit up here. Like I feel like those guys should be sweet. But if you, if you pick the Kiwi or the Jerome Luai is a perfect example. He's a Samoan boy. He plays for Samoa, but he's, he's Western a new, Sydney. He's a Western, Western Sydney, Sydney kid. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a New South Wales. Like he would not look out of place in New South Wales jumper. Whereas yeah. Benji or Sean in a New South Wales jumper would be. It'd be a bit weird. So yeah, I think if, you, that, if I you've think, done a haka, you shouldn't be able to do one. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I think if like the, the biggest part, and we spoke about it is just focus on growing the international game and let the international players play that, let the origin do their thing and let origin keep growing. Um, you raise an interesting point about the percentage of Polynesian, percentage of Polynesian yeah. players. I don't have an answer for what we do down the line, but I think it's a right call right now. Leave the eligibility. Eligibility is a hard word to say this early in the morning. Um, leave that as it is. Okay. Let the Origin boys play Origin. Let the Samoan and Tongan boys play Samoan and Tongan. Let the Kiwi boys do their thing. For the, for the love of God, put up a fucking international window and let yeah. them play in that block because that's the missing ingredient for me and then spread the money out, man. And that, that's that's an important part because like the boys are watching Origin on a Wednesday night without nothing else to do. They're not it's playing like, this weekend. It's like watching yeah. the boys party when you can't party, you know what I mean? You just, you got your and for it. <laughs> yeah, and you're getting paid to fucking go out and have a good time, man. Like they see that and they're like, fuck, I want to be a part of that as well. But if you narrow this into a window where you got Tonga versus Samoa, man, and you ask a lot of the boys, the Tongan boys, like a lot of them play for New South Wales and Tonga. Like you go, wow, which one's more important to you? I know which one they're going to say. Yeah. And like you just need to marry that up at, at the same time, and it allows people to get who's been injured at the start of the year to get over it, and clubs to have a bit of a break as well, when fans to sort of have a bit of a break. Um, it'd be, yeah, int I, it'd be interesting from a talent perspective because, like, just now that I'm like thinking about it in my head, say they say the eligibility changed and like anyone could play, 
Adam Fanel. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Junior Paul Tomalolo will be straight in. No, Junior's already played. Oh, Junior's already playing, yeah. Tomalolo will be straight in. Like, there'd be a few boys. Fisher Harris would definitely get a run. There'd be a lot of guys kick out. It'd change the whole landscape of the game. And I think the reason when we say it makes us feel a bit yuck is because it would change everything. It'd change the build up. It'd change. Because, you know, when you get Gus Gould out there with the fucking panning camera talking about Origin and they (laughs) show all the old school footage, the camera dog calls and that, like. That is the like maybe Australia doesn't have the like the super deep rich culture like that, but Origin does. Origin has its own deep rich culture, its own rich history. Just leave it. Yeah, and everyone like it's 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 a part of our game that casual people watch. Exactly. Like you could watch yeah, AFL, but you could watch any other. You ask any of the All Blacks boys who do you support, and they go Queensland. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, mate. Everyone supports a team around that Origin time because as a spectacle from outside and looking in, it's fucking great to my watch. My wife watches it. She doesn't even watch footy. Yeah, everyone yeah. watches Origin. And like, yeah, my old girlfriend, she's like, oh, I hate footy, but this was like really good to watch. And like, you, you can just feel it. Like the pressure's on. There's so much more people watching. The intensity goes up a lot more. But you looked at Queensland side last year, and like, you'd you'd, you'd struggle to name off their starting seventeen. Yeah, off the top of your head right now. Yeah, that one game three but that was fucking a spectacle that was awesome to watch mm. and it, like and we talked about the like i think it's like 55 percent of polynesians right now a bit more now but more it's like the question that we were asking the other day what, what happens when that gets to 75 percent and 80 percent? i think that's like, when this it, conversation opens changes, back up again yeah because yeah. the talent like was there be enough like of the white boys to just hold origin on their own but then a lot of them a lot of the island boys have come here straight away yeah. Or their families that come to Australia for the other thing that changes that is if you if you get Tonga and Samoa that the unions do get their shit together and they do transition into a tier one nation, then you start to like the boys start having to make that choice, yeah, um, which becomes hard again. But right stay now, stay tier two, Tonga, stay tier two, stay tier two, yes, like, that's still just, in Australia. <laughs> that's just the fucking pat on the back thing, eh? It's yeah. just like ego thing, like yeah. oh, we're a tier one nation now, like who gives a fuck? Yeah, stay tier their two. point was we're a tier two nation, we beat Australia, we should be tier, tier one. So I get it straight on results, but there's other things that go nah, into that. You you'd know? rather you'd, you'd rather the boys afford the boys opportunities to do both, and agree. Yeah, I just think of that, show and go, baby. Mm. Let's drop some that was a good one. Tomorrow. That's a good one. <laughs> All right, later. Sweet ass.